Yeah, you know what I'm thinking now that uh, since many professional violinists uh, listening to us, uh, many of them will think that, of course, if you're a soloist, you can bring your own ideas. But like if you want to get job, like let's say in orchestra, like you really should follow strict rules because uh, way, the way we, we taught, I have studied with many different uh, teachers in different countries and usually it's like you cannot, it's only the one way to play and you cannot play differently. And if you allow me to tell a short story, last summer when I played the audition to your orchestra, uh, Norwegian Arctic Philharmonic Orchestra, and I remember in the last round we played Mozart and you asked me, to play more freely, more individually, and it was difficult because we are not taught to play, especially Mozart, to play it very freely and individually. Yeah, I see, I see your point very much. First of all, I think since I'm now deep into education, I want to educate musicians for the future and not necessarily for the past. So the, what you are saying rings true, but it's to put it that way, I do believe in music more than ever, but I don't believe in all of the church we have built around music. So I think part of what you say leads to part of the result we have today. So there is not enough meaning in classical music life. So I think also we cannot afford to have just one thought in the head. We cannot only want to get a job in orchestra like that in itself is enough, but we can want to apply for a job in an orchestra and also think, what do we want to use our voice in this orchestra? Then I think, like many groups now, they are not necessarily looking for the same musicians as they were looking for 10 years ago. So they are looking also for ambassadors for the orchestra who can you know, contribute to the whole of society. So I do believe that in, you know, in addition to how much in tune you play a Mozart concerto or what style you play it in, there is ways to raise the chance of becoming attractive to cultural groups by having a voice. So what you are doing now, for instance, making a violin podcast and you know spreading that around, this is a very good thing in itself. I'm sure future employers would like to favor people who want to change the world. I assume that you don't earn a lot of money on this and this is done for, for idealistic reasons. And, yes. and to put it that way, in 20 or 30 years, we cannot be sure there are as many orchestras anymore, maybe not even in two years from now. And anyway, you can put it that way. I know so many talented string quartets around the world if they are lucky, they have a teaching position at a, a, at a um, sort of a university. But if not, it's quite difficult to survive as a string quartet. And this is a bit strange because if they play really, really well and they, four people can play a concert for, say, 200 people, why should that be less economic than be part of a 100 people symphonic orchestra playing for 1,000 people? I mean, it doesn't really add up. So as of now, 90% of cultural budgets that are around have gone to the big institution. As we cannot for sure know if that will be possible in the future, 
also what jobs we are educating to. We cannot think, oh, let's only think about how to win an audition in an orchestra job if then we end up having too few orchestras and too many educated for orchestra jobs and it doesn't add up. So what, what I'm saying that I would like to contribute every person I teach here at Academia and at Baratu and Royal Lauder College, I don't want to only educate them in one direction when it's very uncertain how the world is from 10, 10 or 15 years from now. So I think if they are able to, if somebody called them, can you play a concert tonight? Yes, should be the answer. You can improvise, you can compose, you can arrange something, you can play with whoever, and you can take the, if you don't get the orchestra job, can also become a blessing in disguise that this force you to go on with some of your other dreams and plans for maybe something you even loved more than the idea uh, in the first place. So the world is as it is and we should fight. And I, of course, want the orchestras to survive. But I think there is so many ways to be a musician. And we should also fight for a lot of more resources be being given to those who want to uh, go their own paths. So I wish in addition to having money for all the symphonic orchestras as, as we had today, I, I would like to expand the cultural budgets and include more of more possibilities of building free groups. Uh, if you are creating very, very interesting concerts the audience could like to give support to persons who maybe even create art forms we haven't yet heard. There, there could be new ways. So for me, expression, can you express your own voice? So the first thing I tell when I get a new student is that now, of course, you have one audition to study here for four years, but that's just the start of it. If you do everything I tell you, everything the other teachers tell you, it could still lead to miserably if you don't develop your own voice. But during these four, four years, what could prevent my students from finding their own voice? Well, if they are given a lot of tasks, learn this Paganini Caprice, learn this Mozart Concerto, learn this, do it this way, this way, this way, this way. And they're constantly told, oh, do this uh, music analyzing, do this uh, study in uh, history, do this. And somehow after four years, and they finish with the education and, oh. <laughs> so, I, how, is there a way to prevent that, this? I think there is also. I mean, every single day you should look for meaning and demand that. So I, I ask my student, if you practice one hour on a Mozart concerto and then love the Mozart concerto deeper and you find it easier to play a violin, then you have probably practiced very well. If you are more confused, find it more difficult to play a violin and maybe love the piece slightly less, that says something about the practice, even if you play it more in tune and more together, it's not a road which leads to uh, liberty. And so uh, since we are, I mean, I guess the listeners here would like practical tips. I would say as uh, Glenn Gould was known, the pianist was known to do 90% of the practice without the piano and then only 10% to the piano. My 
what I've met when I've been teaching around and ask people questions, it tends to lead to the conclusion that many think that at least 90% of the practice should be with the violin un under the uh, chin. But this is a slow way of learning. So I encourage people to expand what the definition of practice is. Practice is anything which brings you in the desired direction. And if you then want to really develop this true technique, which I talk about, the ability to express your feelings, anything which can make you love the piece you're going to play deeper and on more different levels will eventually help you. And everything you can make to liberate yourself, to use the musical language not only in one way, but in as many ways as possible, can also help you. So for me, improvising is something like thinking. Composing is something like writing an email or writing a novel or writing a story. Playing a recital for me is something like reciting a poem by Shakespeare. Playing chamber music for me is something like being in a stage, doing a play with other actors. Improvising together with other people would be something like having a conversation. So, this is, I like to, it's a pretty picture of that. If you want to learn a new language, say English is a foreign language, do you want to learn it? Don't learn it as classical musicians are trained to learn classical pieces because that would equate to being inside for half a year, working on the articulation on the different syllables in a sonnet by Shakespeare. And then at the end of that half, half year, stand in front of a thousand people reciting it. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I like this kind of picture. So I also, also ask my students, now for the next hour, can you think about what you do with your tongue in the mouth while you are talking? Does it become easier or more difficult to talk if you think about what you do with your phone? <laughs> yeah. Even speaking about it, it becomes more difficult to talk. And the same about the music. So if you all constantly focus on what your fingers do and what things like that, it also leads you to play worse and less good. So there is positive ways to practice any part of being a violinist. Even intonation, I would practice by playing the chord in tune feeling, oh, this is a nice feeling, how does that feel? Then I have something I want to obtain. If in any way your playing is about evaluating, is this good enough? Then this is a camouflage way of doubting yourself. And you're not really thinking about what you're saying and you get all these problems. So you take that view on classical music life, everybody agreeing, oh, it's so difficult to play. It's not difficult to play. Those who are the best players, it seems easy for them. They just found a way where it's easy. It's difficult if you try the, try the wrong way. And it, you need create creativity to find the way which is easy and natural for yourself. And the easiest way is then through actually knowing what you want to express. What, what is it in the piece which makes you like it? And that focus will help you find a much, much, much quicker way also to sort of 
intonation and rhythm and other things which are talked about today. And it will then be much better that let your tongue do what it does best when you don't think about it and think rather about what you are saying. And then during practice, remove obstacles which prevents you from saying what you want to say to become more free. And the best way to do that, say there is a one especially passage in Tchaikovsky's Wellington Chateau or something like that, which is very, very difficult. Then you have tried to practice for three weeks and you still don't manage. That just means you have tried the wrong way. You're banging your head against the wall again and again. Take a step back. Look, is there a possible doorway here? And then the more technical craftsmanship difficult it is, the more it is important to go back again to the sources. Look to think, why did Tchaikovsky write that? Is there some harmony, some things he wanted to express? And once you, oh, this is a great idea. Once you find that, you can repractice it. We have this expression in Norway, you, I, you cannot see the wood because of all the trees, which is very interesting. So if you only see trees, if you only see obstacles and notes, and it feels like a sentence, oh, I have to play this, I don't want to play that, it's so difficult. Then step back, look into the creative process of composing it. What kind of type of excitement, what kind of feelings do you want to express? Once you find that, you will find a different path through the practice. And since we know at the very end, when you look at the greatest artists of uh, history, like David Oistrak and others, it looks also very natural what he does. It doesn't look difficult. Yeah. And you, you can look at modern players, yeah, like the cellist Yu-Yu Ma and others. It doesn't look difficult at all. And it is because it isn't difficult. And quite often, the answers can be that simple. Do you find your life is meaningless at the moment? Well, that's because it's too little meaning. Then go look for meaning. <laughs> so anyway, of course, this battle uh, through enthusiasm, you still have to sort of win every day. So I start every day the same way because I found those days becomes much better. So when I wake up in the morning, during the first 15 seconds, I actively remind myself that life can always be meaningful. Then after that, I remind myself that there is something about music which I absolutely love. And this is regardless of the state of musical life in pand pandemic or not. It's regardless of what kind of church we have built around it. And then I usually eat breakfast with my family and, you know, do nice things. But as soon as possible after that, I will go into my study room. And I will sit down by the piano and improvise with any, without any rules. I just look for more things to love deeper and love more. After that, I have warmed up because I've warmed up my soul. Then it goes very quickly to warm up the fingers. So warm up for me is to get in touch with sort of my expression, whatever prevents me from, from seeing life meaningful. And once I'm connected with that, this, so warm-up for me is of course not scales, it's improvisation both on piano and on violin until I find life meaningful, until I love music as much and I feel that I can express myself really. Then 
First, then I would start to practice an actual piece of study, an actual score. And for me, after I started this, maybe one and a half year ago or something, life has become much better. So it, it, it really helps. However bad the situation is, there is always resources. For instance, I have a little bit of tinnitus in one ear, like a peep. So how can that be good? Is it, is it good that I haven't hurt my hearing? No, it's not good in itself, but there are resources. Because then I don't want it to get worse. I cannot anymore practice nine hours with Isai yes. double stops in a small room. I have to practice other ways. But when I ask myself, did I benefit from that or not? I benefit hugely. So this also helped me to use more of my times dancing the music, singing the music, and study in other ways. So a seemingly bad situation has almost always resources in, in it. So when all my concerts, international soloist concerts were canceled now, what was the resource in that? Well, suddenly I had a lot more time to compose. So I just premiered my new double concerto and I had three times more time to compose than I would have had without the pandemic. I'm very grateful for that. So for me, through chance and all of this, I was able to use this new situation instead of being irritated of losing all the money, losing the opportunity to play with people and all these canceled international jobs. I decided to see that as, well, now I have a possibility to use more time to other aspects and that helped. So, so I would say, try to translate any bad feeling you have, any bad situation you are, you are in and see, are there here some resources anyway? Is there a possibility, even if the situation is really bad as, as it is today for many, many people, really, really bad. Is it still something in this situation you could use to get a place you really want to, to go? And this, for me, is allowing yourself to daydream. One of my big heroes is, uh, uh, the, the guy who wrote Galway, who wrote In a Game of Tennis and also In a Game of Work and In a Game of Stress, those three books. And he asked in one of these books, what do you want and what do you really want? And how can you find out what you really want? And this is not about all the sort of things happening just now you need to deal with, but what do you really, really want? And to allow for that, to even think about it while improvising, I think for me it is about expressing something I think is of value. So would I rather play for 30 persons in a church getting a low fee, but thinking that I do something I think is valuable, or to have a big prestigious concert, but not have that feeling. And that I would choose the, the meaning is. So some of my very, very happiest concerts and best projects has actually not been even paid. So I want to, to, uh, to think about life 
in a different way. My currency is meaning. Of course, you need to do something to survive. So when economic, for, for many of my international colleagues, when you really say don't have food on the table, then of course, money has become a crucial issue destroying for many things. Even in that situation, there is probably a few choices on, on how you solve it. And is one of them leading to more meaning? Then I think uh, sort of the whole value, if we manage to contribute to changing the value system somewhat, that could lead new places. But of course, I, I mean, it's easy for me to say in Norway, one of the richest countries in the world, I don't have, I have a teaching position now. So even with my cancelled concerts, I, I'm not starving. So I feel very, very compassionate to those who have great problems. But still, is there some resources in this situation you could use to come closer to your own deepest dreams? What do you really want? And then that when I say that what you really want not necessarily in the goal I want to play in Big More Hall in three months because that could be wonderful experience or not so but it's more on the inner subject that you find your own purpose and can feel your life meaningful and that you contribute to something you believe in and uh so people in general, for instance, they say about Schubert, poor Schubert, um, he died so young and his music was almost never performed in public concerts. And it was true and he died young, but also it's true that some of his friends had arranged Schubert yards for him and he sort of met 10, 12 people who really loved this music and they played this chamber music together. And maybe that brought him immensely joy. Maybe he was more happy than some of the celebrated artists in history. Maybe. So do you see my point? So even if in some letters Schubert would write how terrible and feelings he had, there is something about his music. I think he also must have held enormous amount of, of joy. <laughs> he, he had a fantastic meaning for life. So I don't buy into this sort of the tragic fate of Schubert. Maybe in some ways he had one of the most meaningful lives, even if there was tragedy in it. So, uh, yeah, well, now we are getting into sort of philosophical thoughts, but I think this is, <laughs> for me at least, helpful when I play music. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, you say that we should have meaning in our plane and uh, your plane is very individual and very bright and uh, as you now telling us you have also very deep ideas where do you get inspiration for these ideas from well First of all, I've had some very wise teachers from when I was very young. So one of my first teachers in violin, uh, Leif Jørgensen, he said, I want to be your teacher, but not only in violin, but in, in other things. So when I got lessons from him, it could be like, learn this etude by Kreutzer, but also compose the etude yourself. And he would say, and also read this novel and tell me what you think about that. And some of these novels had nothing 
to do with music. And I felt that he saw me as a full person. And that also, when I connected that with playing violin, that has, has helped me. So it was very wise type of teaching. He could see that I had a talent for composing. He, he encouraged me to use that also in the practicing. So I did compose my own etudes very often. And I did read novels. I did discuss philosophical questions with him during lessons. And even before I had this teacher, I had a wonderful, my very first teacher when I started to play violin, Magna Halvorsen, she was an amateur violinist who loved music. And she invited me to her, her home. So I was at her place every Friday from 4.30 to 6.30 for two full hours. I would start this lesson by playing what I practiced for about half an hour. Then she brought out some cake and ice cream and she asked how was school today and we talked about, you know, a lot of things. And then at the end of the lesson, she would play some chamber music with me, some duets, we would sight read and I looked forward to every lesson. It was like one of the highlights. So even though she wasn't a particularly good violinist herself, she was, you know, very dedicated and made me love, uh, love to practice and love to play. And also after studying with her for about three, four years, she called the, the next teacher, Leif Jørgensen, and she set up an audition. So she knew when she had to pass me on. But I say pass on, but I continued that for the rest of her life. I visited her about once a month, uh, even at hospital right before she died. She continued to be a friend of me. So I was in a way, way more lucky than some <laughs> of my colleagues have talked about. So uh, I couldn't have been introduced to classical music in a more pleasant way than I was. And then later on, I had great teachers, uh, Stefan Baratue, Lars-Anders Tomter, Bjarne Fiskum, and Camilla Wicks, this American violinist who sadly died, but she became, of course, 92 years old, but she died uh, some months ago. And she was a student of Persinger, who was a student of Isai, and she was also an incredibly good violinist. So I studied with her, but not the usual way. I didn't apply for the university where she were teaching. So I didn't come to have one lesson a week for several years, but I visited her for two weeks at a time and had le lessons every day those two weeks. So I'm also questioning because I seem to, through my life, have learned most in sort of short bursts of huge energy. The way we do education, is it the best way to have one lesson a week? When do you learn most? How can you create this enthusiasm to really move on? So for me, it was fantastic to five or six or seven times stay in her house having lessons every day for two weeks. Oh my God. I mean, I learned so much. I feel so lucky. Then after that, I had a teacher called Emanuel Hurwitz, who was, you know, just a musician, not half as good violinist as Camilla Wicks, but even more so of a philosopher. So I, I must, say, must say that through my uh, first uh, 15 years, I was incredibly lucky getting 
great teachers. So, um, and also this Leif Jorgensen, which I started by, I mean, I think I was 10 or 11 when I started by him. He also said that then your duties, you have to pass it on. So it's not enough to only be a soloist or only be a musician. You have to also give on what in, in teaching. So for me, I started teaching before I got the position, I started teaching just voluntarily, freely. Then later I have got positions at Paratu and now at the academy, but teaching felt for me from early on, like it's a responsibility. You cannot just have all this from your teacher and not pass it on. That doesn't seem fair. You need to give back something of what you have been given. And, um, yeah, so uh, I think then that sense of uh, seeing music in a context, uh, having teachers being given this type of liberty and time, I can be very, very grateful for that now. Thank you for listening. Enjoy last part of our interview with Henning Kragerut in the next episode.